Hey guys, Matthew Bearden here with Ark of Hope. Buddy is out sick today, so <laughs> so I'll be your teacher today. I don't have a very long lesson today, mostly because uh, I was kind of given the opportunity on short notice, but I hope that it will be edifying and that it will be a, an encouragement to everyone here and listening around. So uh, with that being said, today we're going to be talking about grace. Uh, simply, we're going to be talking about the word grace and uh, different verses in the Bible that speak of God's grace. And the object, the object of this lesson is to, to show you that grace is truly the lesson that never ends. It really is. It's the lesson that never ends. Um, and what, what verses I have for you today is just a sample of all these verses in the Bible of God's grace because it's so infinite beyond our our comprehension. But today I just hope to encourage you. Um, you know, so often I think, and I can at least speak in my life experience, it's, it's so easy to lose sight of how great a God we serve, how great He actually is. I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, I think we tend to often feel timid to approach Him um, because of maybe sin in our lives. We tend to feel timid to approach Him maybe because we get too busy. We feel like we uh, don't have the time to, to pray or to fellowship with one another. Sometimes, honestly, we just get downright angry with God, and I think that's something that we, at least in my life, I've, you know, not always honest about. Sometimes we can get angry with Him, and un unjustifiably so, but I think sometimes we do. Um, and maybe we get angry because of our struggles and, and different things like that. But today I just want to remind you of, of how great a God we actually serve is and, and just His grace and how it's sufficient. Because grace is free for all, and it's free for all of us and for all those that we know. It's something that's always there. And it was <laughs> the period was, was put in place at the cross. So, when I was younger, the, the Bearden family has these weird sayings, and when I was younger, one that was uh, often said to me, and it's a strange, it's honestly, it's a strange statement, it, they would say, oh, you have to learn how to die, and they would say, you have to learn how to die, and I was like, that's weird, you know, as a kid, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, um, but what they mean by it, um, and what the statement actually means, uh, the sentiment behind it is, you have to Learn to let go of your past or your struggles. Now, the sentiment of that statement sounds sweet, and honestly, it sounds philosophical, but I think the premise of the statement is wrong. I think we ought to learn how to live. And as we live, so you die. You see, it's as you live that you slowly die to self as a Christian. So I think we ought to learn how to live in living in Christ, living in His grace, li living with Him at the forefront of our minds every day. And that's not always easy. It's easy to say, very difficult to practice. So, today we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is just to show you that when we're in Christ, we're literally a new creation. It says this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are literally new creations. 
when we have Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, we still get tangled up in this thing called the flesh, because that's what our body is made out of. But there is a new man in us. There is a new being in us, if you will. And one day we will be separated from this flesh and be free from all temptation in Christ once and for all. And that's something that we need to hold on to, is one day these temptations that we struggle with, these temptations that I earlier talked about sometimes keep us from fully embracing God, one day all those things, they're not going to be there anymore when we're taken away from this flesh. But we are new creations in Christ. We get convicted of sin when we do wrong. You know, that's something that I've... I've that one of the, if you were to ask me what was one of the first things you noticed when you finally became a Christian is I started to feel wrong, feel bad about even the smallest of things that I would do that were sinful. Um, now, I know it's different for everyone. I'm just speaking in my experience. That was one of the first things I noticed. Um, and many of y'all may know I used to be an atheist and, and uh, coming from that line of thinking, I used to not really get convicted of my wrongdoing because I didn't think it was wrong. But things changed when I became a Christian, and all of a sudden these things that I thought were just part of my everyday life, it was like, oh, I don't feel so good now. It sometimes literally make me feel sick. But because of his finished work on the cross, we can in faith come to him. We can come before him. So I want to take us through a few passages today and just talking about God's grace so we're going to now turn, we were at 2 Corinthians, we're going to now turn to Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. So Hebrews 4.16, we'll talk a little bit about some of the context here in just a moment, but it says this, Let us therefore, and this is a very famous passage, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. See, we ought to approach the God of grace and mercy. How do we do that? Prayer. Prayer is our direct line of communication with God. Prayer is this divinely authorized method of accessing God. And what was the one thing... If you remember from our conversation, our topic on teaching about the temple and the tabernacle, what was the one thing that we speculated w could permeate the veil? Uh, the smell of the incense. And what are our prayers made represented in the smell of the incense? So even when there was still that divide between man and God, the one thing that could still reach him is prayer. And the same thing, even though that, that veil has been ripped in two and it's completely gone away with, we have Jesus Christ, but our prayers is what helps us to access God. It's what helps us to communicate with him. And if you want to see Revelation 5.8 is the one that talks about that verse. I'm just going to read it to you very quickly. Revelation 5.8, this is talking about our prayers. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So, their bowls and, and incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
And it's easy to see, and there's other verses as well, it's easy to see that this is what is made represented as our prayers. That's how we talk to God. And that, uh, that verse, verse 15, right before 16 in Hebrews, uh, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. Yeah. So he understands when we go to him for Right. And he wants us to. And he wants us to. He wants us to, and he can be reached. The, exactly. It is, and he's the one that he wants us. Not only is he giving us an access point to reach him, he wants us to, to go to him. I always apologize to him. Sometimes I'm like, I know you're busy, and there's a lot going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's one thing right here. <laughs> just, right. And, and, he, and he does hear us. Right. He absolutely does. You see... We've we've all done wrong. All of us have. We need mercy. And and mercy by definition is not deserved. By definition, mercy is not deserved. Mercy implies that you're guilty and you're you're what's happening to you is justified. Right? But mercy is what when you get what you don't deserve. It's the opposite. What do we get? We get mercy, we get simply grace. We get grace. We get mercy. We get what we do not deserve. This verse is our king's invitation to us to come get what we need, but not what we deserve. This is his invitation to come get exactly what we need, what is going to help us in our times of struggle. But in the end of the day, it's not what we deserve. And that's not something to hold us back. That's to show you how great he is. All right. And all this ties back to the cross at Calvary, every ounce of it. So now we're going to turn to Ephesians. Now Ephesians is, is chocked full of God's grace, and, and, and we'll talk a lot about Ephesians today. But Ephesians 2, chap, uh, it's gonna be chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great, great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is because of God's rich mercy and the love in which he loved us, even when we were dead. We're already gone. We're already in this place where, you know what? He could have just said, you know, enough is enough. I'm leaving you here. You're going to get exactly what you deserve. He would not have been wrong if he had stepped away from us at that point. But because of his rich mercy and his love, he steps towards us and invites us to the table. All right. And it's by grace that we have been saved. And that's what I love. And we'll get to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which most of y'all know. None of us can go before God and say, I'm here because of me. I'm here because of what I've done. I'm here. We we you know we know this, but it's e it's easy to forget, and it's good to be reminded. None of us are going to stand before God, going, "Yep, you know me. You know how I got here." No, it's because of Him. Now I don't agree with everything the man teaches, but Alistair Begg he he had an interesting thing to say on this, and many of y'all have maybe heard it. It's become very famous now. He he basically told a story of the the thief on the cross, 
And he said, what did the thief on the cross say when he got to heaven? And of course he speculated. We don't know exactly what he said, but he basically has this conversation with the angels of like, you know, how are you here? You didn't go to the services. You didn't attend synagogue. And he says, well, I'm here because the man on the middle cross said I could come. I'm with him. And that's how I think it's going to be for us. It's I'm here. I'm here because the man on the middle cross said I could be here. Yeah. And so, because that man couldn't have done anything in that moment at all. No baptism. He couldn't have, have gone to, he couldn't have gone to mass. He couldn't have, yeah, no works at all could have been done. Nothing. But he's simply there because the man on the middle cross, Jesus, said he could come. Um, but that just shows you how rich in mercy he is. This is the gospel message, is it not? Right? This is, this is what it is. Two words that change the entire game, but God. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God. I'm really thankful that but God is there. Because without that, we wouldn't be doing this right here. Okay, but that but God is there because of how great he is. Two words that change the whole thing for us. This reminds us that salvation came at God's initiative. It was his initiative to save us. It wasn't even ours. It was his. Why? Because he is rich in mercy. <clears throat> He shows grace because he loves us. We don't deserve it. That's already been established. But he did it anyway. What I love about God is that he's motivated by love. And guys, that's a God worthy of worship. A God who's motivated by love, even for the ones that are dead in trespasses, the ones that are guilty, the ones that are uh, should just hang their heads in shame, people like me. I used to be someone that didn't even believe in him. But I'm thankful now I, I have a seat at the table. I didn't deserve that seat. I never, I still don't, but I'm invited. He is motivi motivated by love, and that really is something worthy of all worship and all honor. He helps make us alive. You know, when you're dead, what do you need? You need a resurrection. <laughs> when you're dead, that's the only thing you need is a resurrection. God intervenes in our lives and he gives us new life. Against the, uh, and Tony Evans says this, he says, against the dark backdrop of death is the glory of resurrection life. Without Christ, we have no hope. But even in death, we have a hope. And to me, that's still just as a human being, that's such a strange thing for me to think about. Because obviously I, I don't want to die anytime soon, but whether I live a short life or a long life, death is already defeated for me. Not because I defeated it, but because he defeated it himself. You are saved by grace. Now there's a lot of definitions to grace, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but I, I like this definition of grace. Now, I didn't come up with this definition, but, and I couldn't find who did, but as once you know, it's not my quote. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness based on the work of Christ, whereby he does for us what we do not deserve, could never earn, and would never be able to repay. 
Now, if you find out who made that quote, let me know. I'd love to give them credit. But that's what I think of when I think of grace. Now, um, it's the unmerited favor of God. It's this inexhaustible supply of God's goodness. And you know what? We can never earn it. We never deserved it. And we can never repay it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103.8. And towards the end, I'll get some of y'all to, to read a few verses. Psalm 103.8. Alright, so Psalm 103.8 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I want you just to think about this for a minute. Think about what's happening here. God had just judged the people of Israel for their sins. He so he showed much grace, though, because frankly, all of Israel, and us for that matter, deserve his wrath. And at this moment in history, Israel deserved his wrath big time. All right? But he extends mercy even in the midst of his judgment. And could I get someone to read in, in Psalm 103, uh, verses 9 through 11? Could I get someone to read that for me? He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Thank you. Yeah, and what you're, what you're seeing here is that even when he does punishes, punish them, he doesn't give them the full punishment of what they actually deserve. He doesn't have his anger forever. He doesn't give them the full blunt force of what they actually deserve. He still gives mercy, even in giving his punishment. And that's something that's worthy of worship right there. That's worthy of all praise and all honor. I want you to know that's the God that we serve. This was the God of David. And this is our God as well. I'm gonna jump, uh, jump shifts a little, ships a little bit here, but we're gonna turn to First Peter one thirteen. First Peter one thirteen. We're gonna talk about this one for a minute. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not promised to be an easy one. And I think sometimes there's a lot of preachers out there that want to make it sound as easy and as palatable as possible. All right. But it's not designed to be the easiest life. We learn this from uh, John 16, 33, where Jesus teaches that in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I'm the one that's overcome the world. Speaking of Jesus, not me, but he's the one that's overcome the world. He's the one that we're supposed to have trust and faith in, in the midst of our tribulation on this earth, on this temporary earth. All right. That's in John 16, 33, by the way. Here we have a call to action. To gird up the loins is to get ready for a fight, is to get ready for a battle, all right? And it was kind of a, a strange process, you know, and it, it took some strenuous time. Um, but this is a, a battle of the mind, right? 
And this is interesting because he says, gird up the loins of your mind. He's not saying gird up your physical loins. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, prepare yourself for some mental battle here. And as people, we can see in our culture and in this world at large, everyone <laughs> that opposes Christianity or Jesus seems to try and convince the one thing that is truly ours, our mind, to doubt. All right, They try and convince the one thing that's ours. There's a lot of things like, you know what's coming out of my mouth right now, but you don't know the thoughts I have at night. And same as me, I don't know your thoughts at night. It's the one thing that's ours. Now, God, of course, knows those things. He knows your thoughts. Um, so obviously, we need to think on good things. <laughs> but it's the one thing that if I was to keep it to myself, you would never know. But he's to, to gird up the ones of our minds. But this world and this culture that's so counterintuitive to Christianity is the one thing that they're vying for. It's the one thing they're after is your mind. Because if they can convince the mind, they can conv convince the rest of you. Um, and we see this throughout the world, and especially in the West, uh, with topics like transgenderism, homosexuality, marriage as a sacred union, and so on. All right, We are not called to an easy life. And frankly, the more we go further into the years, the more and more culture is against us. It's the nature of the beast. It's honestly what we've been warned against. Um, but it's not something that uh, it's not something that we should be ultimately fearful of because Christ has already won. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Yeah, be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. And I love that because he's he's speaking in the past tense. It's already over. Well, yeah, right. And that's what I was getting to is how do we do that? It's remembering his promise and not wavering in the face of pressure. And because it's so easy in our culture, you know, I, I think of now, obviously, he is not a Christian, but Alexander the Great had a very interesting quote. He said this, and this, is, this isn't in my lesson, but um, in studying history and, and seminary, they asked, Alexander the Great was once asked, how did you overcome the world? And he said something very fascinating. He said, I did not waver in my pursuit. Okay. Now, obviously, I'm not vying to overcome the, to, to take over the world in the way that he did, but I think as Christians, we should not waver. We should make this our stand, the Holy Bible. And that's this is the hill worthy of dying on, is the scriptures. Okay? So we need to rest our hope completely in the refuge that is Christ and the promise of the future. Right? Because it's the future in which we see this this victory's already happened, but we get to see it in fruition in the future. And that's something that's worthy of holding on to. Rest your hope in his grace. This world's going to take the strength away from you. It's going to beat you down. It's going to hold you down. But if we can get renewed by his grace, then that's enough for me. A quick Google search will reveal that the word grace has a few definitions. The first one is simple elegance or refinement of movement. An example of this would be, she moves with grace. All right. The second definition is due honor or credit to someone or something. 
I was given the grace of being named a doctorate, or given a doctorate. That was a grace that was given, not to me, but I'm just making an example. Um, and this, the third one is interesting. It's just two words. It says, courteous goodwill. Courteous goodwill. Well, God certainly shows us courteous goodwill. And in providing us salvation and providing it in full, I think in response to God's courteous goodwill, we should give him all due honor and credit. But I still prefer to define grace from God as this, the unmerited favor of God, the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness based upon the work of Christ, whereby he does for us what we do not deserve, could never earn, and will never be able to repay. See, we all have a, a story to tell of God's grace in our lives, each one of us. I don't think there's a single person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, that couldn't give a story or a small example of God's grace in their lives. For some, it's just God waking them up in the morning, right? And for some, some people, that's all they got, all right? For some, it's providing relief in times of hardship and heartache. For others, it's, it's seeing your loved ones and being around people that you care about and just having a small moment in the day where you get to have some peace. For others, it's God helping them find a new job. For all of us who call ourselves Christian, there ought to be a big thank you given to God for all his grace in offering to us salvation. Each one of us has a story of grace. Uh, some of y'all in this room know a few years ago I had a bone infection, and I wasn't sure how the doctor told me, you have, you have a week to see how this goes to see if you start to turn around. And those are words as a, tw I think I was 20, maybe, 20-year-old. 20 that's not something you want to hear. I had been dating Jill. I had been wanting to marry Jill at the time. We weren't married at the time yet. And I was like, man, you know, I obviously I knew where I was going to go if I did die, but obviously I didn't want to die. But God showed me grace in allowing me to have, you know, to live, to get through that. Just as he shows grace to those that maybe don't walk out of the hospital. And that's something I've had to come to accept as well, is that his grace is sufficient for both the person that is in the hospital and doesn't make it out, and the person that leaves. And I'm thankful that he, get, he showed me that grace in allowing me to go. But the greatest grace of all, and it should be this for all of us, is the gift of salvation. What we have, that eternal hope forever. Micah 7, uh, 18 says this. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of, the, of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. This reminds me of Psalm that we just read earlier about how he won't hold his anger forever, how he won't hold that against us forever. And he pardons the iniquity and he passes over the transgression. He is faithful to his promise. The suffering and death of the sinless Son of God made this possible on our behalf. All right. Israel will see all the promises of Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac fulfilled. This is something that we see here in this verse. 
is that he's still not done. Sometimes I think as we as Christians, we tend to talk about God as if it's just all past tense and not any of it present tense or let alone future tense. We tend to, we tend to hold that the present tense is just kind of in this weird state. But he's past, present, and future. God still moves today. If you're under the impression that God is dead or asleep, you are absolutely incorrect. Our God is very active, more active than we ever could even imagine. Some would say that this grace gives us a license to sin, but Romans 6.15 clears that up. It says this, what then shall we, uh, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. No, God forbid. We are under grace and thank goodness we're not under the law anymore. That's something I'm very, very grateful for. But just because we're under grace doesn't give us the license to sin. All right. We are to serve him in response and obedience to the great thing he has done for us. We as Christians have a hope because of his grace. And if I could, I would love to get someone. I'll have a few verses. Could I get someone to read Psalm 23, 6? Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very famous psalm. I love that verse in that part where we see that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We as Christians have a hope. And also, it's very interesting to think about who wrote that psalm and the life they lived and how they still sinned and they fell short, but God was still their rock. Can I get someone else to read Isaiah 55, 7? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon him. Yeah. So God is full of grace. He gives a way out for the wicked man. He gives a way out for all of us so that we can turn to him even when we've strayed, perhaps. We can still return. God is always there. He will have mercy. I love that. It's not he might. If, he, if you return to God, he will have mercy. And that's something worthy of, of holding on to. See, in heaven, we will only be able to boast about one thing, and that's how magnificent and amazing God's grace is. Just like at the beginning of the lesson, we're not going to be able to go up there and say, hey, this is me, you know what I've been doing? No, it ain't like that, and it shouldn't be like that. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's very famous, as it should be. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Right? And what we see here is that it's only by faith in Christ and His grace that allows us to enter into those gates. That allows us to stand before Him. That's how amazing He is. Again, when we stand before Him... The only thing on our tongue should be, yes, amen, and thank you. See, we, you, and me, we're all saved by grace through faith. And guys, this is only 
just such a small portion of verses that talk about God's grace. I've given you just a pocketful today, some of the more popular ones. But there's so many psalms talking about how God's grace is there and how he pardons and how he is there for the wicked for them to return to him. And Yeah. And this is so plain of this. Right. It's, it's so plain, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could say. No. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It's just certain people. They put, you know, I, I have to go to Mass and I have to light candles and I have to. Right. And you see it you see it in other religions too. It's there's such an emphasis on works in many religions around the world of you have to do this, you have to do this and that and do this a certain amount of times a day. Right. And it's just I don't like when we have to add things to something so simple. You know. So again, I state I think grace is truly the lesson that never ends. I can sit up here for 30 to 45 minutes and tell you about verses from the Bible, but grace is something that you've experienced already in your lives as a Christian. And you experience it every day, whether you realize it or not. And you experience it every day if you're not a Christian, whether you realize it or not. Right. Yeah. And so... With that being said, that's that's all I have for you today. I apologize, not the most in-depth lesson, but uh, well, thank you. Yeah, the definition that you had given, um, uh, one of our pastors used to say and do an acronym of God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's good. All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure. I hope you uh, enjoyed the message today. And thank you, guys. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye.